will, this morning. Colossians chapter number 2. We're going to continue looking into the doctrine of the Godhead. Uh, this is lesson number 4. Um, I'm not going to review everything that we've done the last three lessons. Otherwise, we would be here until uh, uh, the cows come home. And I don't really want to do that. And I know you don't want to do that. So we're just going to continue. If you missed uh, a, a study with us, you can go back onto the YouTube and uh, you can see it there, and uh, you can catch up with us. Again, as we're looking here at the Godhead, we, we did see the, the term Trinity is not found in Scripture, but it is a, it is a good term, and it adequately describes the, the three members of, the three persons of, the three members of the Godhead. Paul, in Colossians chapter 2 here, Paul uses the term Godhead, so that's the term we should use uh, to be Pauline correct if you will. And when you think about the Godhead, the three persons, they're individuals, they're distinct, they have their own, uh, their own wills, their own personalities, their own roles that they're going to play, but yet they work together. They do not work independent of each other. There's a heretical doctrine out there in Christianity that says that there is a subordination within the uh, Godhead, i.e. there is a hierarchy. In other words, the Father says it, the Son does it, and the Holy Spirit does it. And it's always been that way, and it will always be that way. And that's just not true when you look into Scriptures. Scriptures say actually just the opposite. Uh, we'll get to this morning, we're going to look at the Lord Jesus Christ and what Scripture says about Him. And then when we go over and look at Philippians chapter 2, we will find out that the Lord is doing some stuff of His own free will, of His own volition, of His own choosing. He humbled Himself. He took on the... He does it Himself. So that evidently, obviously indicates that this is something new. It's not, and it's not the, the way it normally is. And as we go through that, I hope we'll see that. So if you, were, if you say the second person of the Godhead or the third person, which we do, we say that out of convenience rather than hierarchy. I know it sounds like it. First person, God the Father. Second person, God the Son. Third person, the Holy. That's really more out of convenience than it is hierarchy. They're individuals. They're distinct. We saw the issue there in 1 Corinthians 12, how you've got a diversity and then how you have a, uh, a, a, the, the, the Holy Spirit has his job, the administrations belongs to the Lord, and the operations belong to the fathers. There's three distinct issues there and, and roles and so forth, okay? Now, that's a quick review. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, this morning, I just want to look at the Lord Jesus Christ and what Scripture says about him. Colossians 2, verse number 9, the Apostle Paul says, For in him... Now, that's going to be Christ coming out at the end of verse 8, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is the bodily manifestation of the Godhead. Okay? God, the, God is a spirit, and he's from everlasting to everlasting. Come back with me to Psalms 40. Again, you have the reference list. You kind of get an idea where we're going and we're just going to go. Uh, Psalms chapter 40. So when you think about how can I see God, no man has ever seen God. 
The only one that's ever seen God as God the Father, that is, is the Lord Jesus Christ. If I want to see the, the, the manifestation of the Godhead, I am going to turn and look at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. His earthly ministry belongs to the nation of Israel, but when I look at how he lived life, and that's how we're going to look at it, okay? And we're going to go through John. We're going to be all over the boat. We're going to be in 2 Peter, Hebrews, 1 Samuel. We're going to be everywhere. But I want you to see how he lived life. That's why when you read Galatians 2.20, it hangs on the back wall for a reason. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Not faith in the Son of God, that's what the new Bibles do to it, the faith of. You see, there is a faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He lived life a certain way. And that's really what I'm trying to get with us, all right? Hopefully by Easter, which is the end of the month, we'll then get talk about lifestyle, the Godhead and everything, okay? There's a lifestyle that the Godhead has, one of harmony, one of grace, one of love, one of long-suffering, one of patience, all of this lifestyle. And Paul says, you and I, we're to live that way. And we're to have that Philippians 2 mentality. And when we get over in Philippians 2, we'll, we'll see that, that uh, valuing and esteeming others better than yourselves. And that lifestyle, Paul, Paul's love language. Somebody asked me a couple weeks ago what my love language was. And I said, the physical punch. And they're like, punch? What? And I go, no, I'm just kidding. Paul's love language is the one anotherings. Another, one another, one another. And there's quite a bit of them. But when you think about the Lord Jesus Christ, he had a lifestyle that he lived while he walked, and he's manifesting the glory and the grace and the lifestyle of the Godhead. Philippians 40, I'm sorry, Psalms 40, Philippians 40. If you got that, I need to see you. <laughs> Psalms 40, look at verse 6. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine eyes, I'm sorry, my ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. Now, that's a psalm of David, and David says that, but it also, according to Hebrews 10, is what the Lord Jesus Christ says to the Father. The volume of the book, it's written about who? About me. So I'm coming to do thy will, see. So when you want to see how Jesus Christ is going to be pictured and, and put on display, come back to John 1, in Scripture, it's very clear that he is the Godhead bodily, that manifestation. John 1 and verse 1. We know these verses, and again, these are going to be verses that we're very familiar with. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Isn't that interesting? Who's the Word? Well, the word, the capital W, the title, that is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, eternal name, 1 John 5, verse 7. His eternal name is Word. So you've got Father, Word, and Spirit, okay? Then he says to, to uh, Gabriel says to, to Joseph, you will call his name Jesus. 
Now he's Jesus. Then he's Jehovah. There's Lord, Lord Jesus. Jesus is his human name. Christ, that's Messiah. So he's the Lord Jesus Christ in his humanity. But prior to humanity, verse 14, and the, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, prior to being fleshed incarn, uh, in his incarnation, he's what? He's word. Not word, but word, Okay. And that's how he's known. By the way, he will always be the Word. He's always been the Word. He will always be the Word. That's who he is. He's made flesh. Now, watch verse 2. The same was in the beginning with God. Do you think he's God? I think he's God. He's with God. He was God. He's equal to God. Verse 3, all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Now, John is doing something here. And what John is going to do now is he is going to, he's going to bridge the God of the Old Testament with Jesus Christ and the New Testament, and he's saying they are the same. Notice verse 3 carefully. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In the Genesis 1.1, go to Psalms 8. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Who created? God. All three members participate in the creation program. Psalms 8, just notice this. Psalms 8, verse 1, our Lord, I'm sorry, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name. In all the earth, who has set the, thy glory above the heavens? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. Man, boy, I wish we had the time to really get into looking at what, what's going on there. David is just laying it out here, and he's talking about creation. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast, ordained. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou vittest? See, there's this issue of creation. Our, O Lord, our Lord, that capital L-O-R-D, Jehovah. Jehovah here. So what John, go back there to John, uh, well, you know what, go over to Psalms 33. What John is doing, and and what the apostle Paul is going to do here in just a minute, Psalms 33, is John is building a bridge. And there's a bridge being built here that what the Old Testament scriptures understand regarding Jehovah. He's creator. That's who he is. Psalms 33. Just think about this. By the way, the Lord, the Father, God appears to Moses in the burning bush, remember that event? Prior to that event, he looks at Moses and he says, Moses, the people know me as God Almighty, i.e. Creator. They need to know me as Jehovah. I am, fill in the blank. I am everything you're going to need. So from that moment on, who was God? Jehovah. That's who he was. Okay, now John, in John 1, and in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, okay, too, but in John 1, 
He's going to build a bridge back and says, you see this Jehovah back here, creator, God Almighty? That's the same guy as Jesus Christ over here in flesh now. That's the same one. The one that made everything, Psalms 33. Psalms 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them, by the breath of his mouth, he gathered the waters of the sea together as a heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. He's the creator. The Old Testament paints this beautiful picture of Messiah and Jehovah, but it starts with him being what? Creator. Psalms 102. Psalms 102. 102, verse 24. Psalms 102, verse 24. I said, O my God, take me not away in the midst of my days. Thy years are throughout all generations. Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. Very clear in the Old Testament Who is God? He's creator. He's the one laying in. And the Old Testament establishes the fact that God is creator. So in John 1, now we have the Word, who is God. He was equal with God. He was God. He's there. He was creator. Just slide back there to John 1. We've got to go to Colossians 1 anyway. John 1. Then he says, verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, now Israel, the one that you see as Jesus Christ of Nazareth over here, guess who he is? He's God. He's the same one that's back here in the Old Testament. The same person who created, the Old Testament's all about, is now Jehovah, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, right here in our presence. It's the same guy. That's what John 1 does. That's why John is so helpful in that. That's why in John, in the Gospels, John looks at him as who he is, the Son of God. He's God. Matthew, the king. Mark, the servant. Luke, the man. And here's John. He's God. You've got the lion and the ox and the man and then the eagle. There he is. He's God. Why? Because there's a connection that's got to be made that the one walking on the earth, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is God Almighty. That's who he is. But he's also what? Man. 100%. Now come over to Colossians 1 and watch our apostle make the same connection. Paul, too, is going to emphasize this. And actually, honestly, a little side note for you on a by the way, if you will, the Apostle Paul, not only is he going to make the connection to God creator, but he's also going to make a connection to Israel's Messiah is now our Savior and Redeemer. The same one that was creator and was Israel's Messiah, the one that died on the cross, he's ours too. Same guy, died once for all. Not two or three times, one time. Colossians 1, look at verse 15. Who is the image? Well, so the who, who's that? Well, verse 13, who hath delivered us for who? Who, who, sounds like an owl. Okay, well, we're going to go back up to uh, that you might, verse 10, that you might walk worthy of the Lord. 
giving, verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom, the Son, we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who, the Son, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. By the way, that's all government. It's nothing about trees and hills and valleys and all that. It's governmental structure. All things are created by him and for him. Jesus Christ is the creator. He's the one talked about in the Old Testament. He's the word. He's the source of creation. He's the one. In the beginning, God created the heaven. And go back there to Genesis 1. You had to think about this. He's the word. He's the source. And Paul picks up on that and says, you want to see where we're going? We're going into the heavenly places, heaven, invisible realm. We're going to fill up the government of the heavens. And oh, by the way, guess who created all that? Jesus did. The one back there in the beginning, Genesis 1.1. When he says Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created, the first thing God created was government. He created the governmental structure. In Amos 9, he talks about the stories out there in heaven. Stories as in first floor, second floor, third floor, fifth floor. Governmental structure. And then he filled that government up with the angelic realm. That's why you have different classes of angels and different operating spheres of angels. That's why most angels don't have wings, but yet there's groups that do. Why? Because they've got different functions and different things to do. Because this is government. This is the orderly maintenance of the universe. How is it going to work out? And you and I participate in the heavenly government. Israel takes care of the earth. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Now look at verse 3. What's the first three words? And God what? Said. How did he create? He spoke a word, didn't he? You see, he, he, by the way, verse 3, and God said. Verse 6, and God said. Verse 9, and God said. Verse 14, and God said. and uh, Verse 11, and God said. You, you think he did some speaking. He's the source of it. He's the life giver. He's the one that a couple weeks ago we were talking about uh, he's love and he's life. He's the one that breathed life into everything. It's amazing. Come over to chapter 3. God at the very beginning speaks creation into existence. He's the word. 3.1. Satan, the serpent. Now, this isn't a snake wrapped around the apple tree. By the way, it's not an apple tree. It's the vine. You know what's on the vine? The blood of the grape. They weren't supposed to drink that. The Nazarite vowed they're not to have the strong drink. It's forbidden. So this isn't a snake wrapped around a vine tree. Okay? By the way, you know where the apple tree came from? It comes out of the Latin, and it's one letter off. The Latin word. They add, which is the apple word, but it doesn't match the Hebrew word. It's just a, and it's a one letter off. And it's very interesting when you study it out and you get out of the religious, religiousity of it all. Because what does the serpent do? So the serpent here is not a snake. It's talking about his characteristic. It's character. 
What does he say? Yea, hath God said. Isn't it interesting? The adversary attacks what? What he said. How does he attack it? One letter off. That's all he does. He doesn't change whole sentences. He just removes one letter. Changes everything. Verse 8. After the fall. And they heard the voice of the Lord God. By the way, the Lord God. This is God the Son. You see the capital L-O-R-D? That's Jehovah. But do you see God is spelled capital G, little O-D? That's Jehovah the Son. Your translators did that so you could identify who's speaking. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Isn't that interesting? They heard the what? The voice. Verse uh, 11. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Isn't that interesting? Who are you listening to? Adam and Eve. Who told you you were naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Verse 10, And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And the Lord says, Who told you this? Who are you listening to? You're not listening to me. I told you to not eat of that thing. You're over here eating away. You see, he's the word. He's the voice. He's the source. Come back with me to Hebrews chapter 1. He's the originator. He's the word. Hebrews chapter 1. And as the word, see, you got to understand, in Israel, and as well as for you and I, you got to start connecting the dots here. The one who spoke the world into existence is now going to be John 1, the word, who's the made flesh and dwelt among us, who's Jesus Christ over here. And, and the believing remnant, they begin to connect the dots. You and I have to do the same thing. Now, not all of Israel connected the dots. Hebrews 1, verse 3. Well, verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Do you see how he calls Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and early Acts last days? It's the last days of Israel's prophetic program. The next thing to fall is the 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation time. Whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Now watch. Who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Notice that expression, the express image of his person. The idea is he is an exact replica of it. So, so close, you can't tell the difference. You understand that? I don't know if you've ever gotten counterfeit money before. I have. Not on purpose, on accident. I plead the fifth. Okay. I was at the bank. I took the money. We, were at, we, were, we did a garage sale, and it came through, and I was at the bank. And the lady's counting it out to make the deposit. And she goes, and I go, what's wrong with that one? She goes, it's fake. 
and she's over here doing this, and she goes, that one's fake too. Fake. And I'm like, how can you tell? She goes, well, I know what real feels like. So how do they train the bank tellers? They don't train them on fake money. They train them with the real thing so that they can feel it. And I'm like, show me. And sure enough, she did. The ridges on the coats and the president's got ridges. You can feel them. The fake stuff is smooth. I'm like, hot dog on that. Look at that. She goes, you know, and she told me a couple other things that I've been sworn to secrecy, okay? But the thing is, is what is he? You can't tell the difference. There's no ridges missing on him. He's the express image. Why? Because he is God, and he's now revealing himself where? In human flesh. He's 100% God, and he's 100% man. Come over to chapter 11. We're going to spend time in the book of Hebrews moving forward, especially chapter 5 and so forth, and Hebrews 11 and verse 3. Hebrews 11 and verse 3. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. So things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Isn't that interesting? Who made the worlds? The Word of God did. Who's that? Jesus Christ, the Word. And the Word that was over there, He's now going to be made flesh, and now He's going to come and walk amongst us. Come over to 2 Peter chapter 3. Connect. Connecting the dots, 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 5. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that, that then was, being overflowed with water, perished, and off you. Framed by the word of God. The heavens were of old. Isn't that interesting? He, sp- he spoke it. And it's important here. Now, 2 Peter belongs to the nation of Israel. Hebrews belongs to the nation of Israel. Hebrews, Hebrews, okay? How does, the, how does the husband make coffee in the morning? Hebrews, <laughs> okay? Well, you work on that, all right? Israel needs to make that connection, but they don't. What do they do to the Lord Jesus Christ? They reject him. Come back to 1 Samuel chapter 3. They, they, diss him, they diss him, if you will. They disregard him. They crucify him. They ignore him. 1 Samuel chapter 3. Jesus Christ is the personification of all that God's word is describing. All the various attributes, all the various components that make up God, he's going to personify out for humanity. He is going to become touchable. He's going to become the manifestation of the living character of God, and he's going to be relatable and touchable and and able to, to, to interact with. He's active. He's dynamic. The word power, he's a dynamic thing. And you know what he is? He's the word of God in flesh. The word was made flesh. Now look at 1 Samuel 3. 1 Samuel 3, verse 1. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. So there's silence from God. Isn't that interesting? 
There's 434 years of silence, or 400 years of silence, sorry. Okay? That's why you have the writing prophets. But notice Samuel here. What's precious? The Word of God. Why? Because God ain't talking to him right now. Now, drop down to verse 7. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Samuel, he doesn't know the Lord. He, 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 he hasn't known the Lord. Why? Look at that. Why does Samuel not know the Lord? Because the Lord had, uh, was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. The word had not revealed himself yet. I read that. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. Why didn't Samuel know the Lord? Because he hadn't revealed himself to him yet. You see that? Knowing the Lord isn't saved or unsaved or justified. That's not knowing the Lord here. Lord, knowing the Lord is Samuel's a prophet. He's going to be the prophet of the, of, of the, of, 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 of the course here. First course of judgment, Leviticus 26. So why doesn't he know the Lord? The Lord hasn't revealed himself to him yet. You follow that? Now look down at verse 18. Um, Yeah, yeah, well, verse 19. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord, And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Now look at that. Samuel doesn't know the word, doesn't know the Lord, hadn't revealed yet. And then the Lord comes over here and reveals himself and his word to Samuel. And Samuel knows it, and now now we're off and going. The ultimate revelation of the Godhead is who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's revealed himself. The Lord revealed. Go back there to John 1. In the beginning, uh, John 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18, The Word becomes flesh. What did... What did the Word do? What is Jesus Christ going to be doing now? He's going to be doing what? Revealing the Godhead to who? To humanity. That's what He's going to do. And again, I'm looking at the overall. I'm not trying to get into dispensational discussion here, okay? What's He doing? He's Emmanuel, God with us. Here He is. Now look at verse 18. No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath what? Isn't that interesting? Who declared God? He did. Jesus Christ did. Not only did Jesus Christ see the Father, he's now, and and by by the way, and the Spirit, he's now going to do what? Declare the Father and declare the Spirit. He's now going to make them manifest. Come over to chapter 17 of John. John 17. It's very enlightening to understand that not only was Jesus Christ the Word, but, and then He revealed Himself, but what He's revealing here 
is something broader and deeper than him just being the Messiah. It's now God manifested in human flesh. He is going to be the last Adam, Paul calls it. He's going, to look, he's going to show man what man should have been doing since first Adam, and that's living according to the word and the will of the Father. John 17 and verse 26. And I, and this will be the Son. By the way, John 17 is the Lord's Prayer. They've just come out of the upper room. John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 is all up in the upper room. They've just come out of the upper room. They're headed to the Garden of Gethsemane, and, he's, and he prays to the Father, John 17. At the end of the prayer, verse 26, And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. That is the last words of our Lord Jesus Christ to that believing remnant. When Peter denies him, he doesn't say a word. He just looks at him. He speaks seven more times after Pilate hangs him on the tree. That's it. He only speaks a few times to Pilate. He never speaks again to the nation of Israel in a broadcast manner. It's fantastic. What did he just say? I declared you. And I, I have declared unto them thy name. Verse 25, O righteous Father. Verse 24, Father. Verse 21, that they all may be one as thou, Father. What's he do? He's declaring the Godhead to him. It's in John 16 and in John 14 that he says another comforter's coming, the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he's going to do this, this, and this, and this. And he's declaring the activity. The Son declares. He's doing his job, which is to declare the Godhead, to make manifest, to make them visible, knowable, approachable, relatable. And he's been doing it all through his earthly life. Ministry. Come back to Isaiah 55. You came to church for a workout, didn't you, this morning? That's okay. You can have the afternoon off. We'll see you back here at 6. Isaiah 55. It's just Sunday morning. You can do a little Bible workout, you know. They say, what is the average workout day? Three times a day, three times a week you're supposed to work out. 150 minutes or whatever, whatever it is, and I just get you one day, so come on, all right? We're going to work, we're going to work those fingers loose, okay? Isaiah 55, you found it now, verse 10. Isaiah 55, 10. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and make it bring forth the bud, uh, and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that, go, be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I have pleased, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. What a verse. My word is going to go out, and it's going to accomplish the specific thing I sent it out there to do. The description here is of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Word. And He's being sent. The message 
He's the message. He's being sent out to accomplish something very specific within the nation of Israel, and that is to demonstrate that he is their Messiah. He is the promised one. They don't make the connections. They don't connect the dots. Come back to Psalms 56. So at the end, when he says, I've declared thy name, I finished the work you gave me to do. By the way, he says that prior to going to Calvary. The work, finishing the work isn't Calvary. Finishing the work is getting that little flock established and rooted and grounded and set up in leadership. And he does that. And he says, I declared thy name. Now it's time for me to go die. Psalms 56, verse 4. Again, David here, when the Philistines took him at Gath, he says, In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Wow. You know, the Lord says the same thing. Don't fear the guy that can kill you. You've got to fear the one that can do what? Take your soul and take everything from you. Verse 10. In God will I praise his word. In the Lord will I praise his word. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Think about the Lord Jesus Christ. Where did he put his praise? In his Father, in the Spirit. Where did he put it? In the word of the Father. Where did he put his trust? In the Father. You see, he does the same thing. Come over to chapter 107. The Lord Jesus Christ, who is the living word, will be the focus of all the praise, all the trust. Psalms 107. Psalms 107, verse 19 and 20. Verse 19, Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. That is exactly what the Lord does in his earthly ministry. They bring the leper. Remember the centurion? Lord, don't come to my house. Just say the word and he'll be healed. And the Lord says, I'll come. He goes, no, no, no. You're of a man of authority and I know what that is. Just say the word. And he says, it is so. It'll be done. Just what... Here's the, this is the word of God. He sent his word. And what is the living word doing? Same thing. Psalms 119. Psalms 119 is a wonderful chapter. Longest chapter in the Bible. Every verse has to do with the word of God. I.e. has to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalms 119 verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Where is the, where is the eternal word settled? In heaven. Isn't that interesting? You know what? The living word, you know who, what he is? He's eternal, isn't he? He tells the disciples three times, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to be buried, and I'm going to rise again. All three times he says, I'm going to, be, I'm going to die, I'll be buried, and I'm going to resurrect. He never stays in the grave. Now, they don't understand it. They dismiss it. They go, Peter, Acts chapter 2, you know what he did? God who determined the council, he died, he was buried, and he rose again to go sit on that throne over there for us. But he, death did not hold him. Corruption did not attack. Why? He's eternal. 
The Apostle Paul comes in in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians and says, you know what he did? He killed the last enemy, death. How? Resurrection. He was raised for our justification. He's the living word. He's eternal. Psalms 138. This one is, this verse is cool. Psalms 138. But to get the coolness out of it, get Psalms 138 and go get Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 9. I just want to show you something here. Nehemiah 9. We'll do this and then we'll be okay. Nehemiah 9. And look at verse 5. This isn't on your list. Nehemiah 9, 5. Okay? So after all the names, pick up where it says, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. And bless be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. So what's above everything? His name. Okay? Now look at Psalms 138 and verse 2. Psalms 138, verse 2. I will worship toward the holy temple, this is David again, and praise thy name for thy loving kindness, for thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Wait a minute, Nehemiah 9 said his name's above everything. Now what does David say? The word is now above all of that. That's why having the word of God is very important and that you know where it sits in the King James Bible for the English-speaking people. Okay? Why? Because what is God, what's God going to judge the secrets of men? Paul says, according to my gospel, well, where do I find that at? His word. Romans of Philemon. He's going to exalt. Come over to Psalms 147. Psalms 147. Psalms 147, verse 15. Psalms 147, verse 15. He sendeth forth his commandment upon earth. His word runneth very swiftly. He giveth snow like wool. He scattereth the hoarfrost like ashes. He casteth forth his ice like morsels. Who can stand before his cold? By the way, all of that is, is military terminology. He is preparing for a war with the adversary. And he did it in creation. When he created the universe, he created it with his army, with his ammo depots already in place. He knows the war is coming. He knows the war in heaven is going to happen, and he knows the war on the earth is going to happen. He's got it all prepared out, the Lord does. He's not, there's no surprising the, God, the Godhead. They got it planned. Verse uh, 18, he sendeth out his word and melteth them. By the way, when the, when the Lord returns and he's on that white stallion, what's going out in front of him? His breath, that, that breath of brimstone and that word, the spirit, boom, he's getting them. Verse 19, he showeth his word unto Jacob, his statutes and his judgments unto Israel. Man, that's Romans 3. What advantage did the Jew have? They had the oracles of God. He hath not dealt so with any nation. And as for his judgments, they have not known them. Praise ye the Lord. Boy, Jesus Christ, the physical, visible manifestation of the word, and he gives it to who? Who did he come back for, Romans 9 tells us? He came back in the flesh for who? For Israel. He came for them. He came to fulfill the promises made unto the fathers. Now come over to Philippians 2. You see, he didn't show up. He, he came for Israel. 
But watch Paul. Now with Paul, Philippians 2, Paul says something. He also came for who? For you and me. Woo-hoo. And he kept that secret. Why? Because if that had been revealed, Satan wouldn't have killed him. 1 Corinthians 2, 7, 8, 9. That wouldn't have happened. He goes, I kept it secret. I hid it. Why? So that it would have been accomplished. So then Philippians 2, look at verse 9. So coming out of verse 8, where he's obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, we'll talk about all that. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Isn't that interesting? That's Paul's view of the living word. You know what it is? You know who he is? He is, pre- he is the preeminent one, Colossians 2. That's who he is. Now come over to Revelation chapter 1. So when we think about how the Lord Jesus Christ is pictured in Scripture, what is he? He's the Word. He's the man. He's the one. He's the visible manifestation of the Godhead. If you want to go up and touch God, you're going to touch the Lord Jesus Christ. They had him. That's why he would tell Israel, when, when, that, when that big old group of people come to get him in the, in the, in the garden, he, they didn't take him. He let them. He surrendered to them. He says, I was just with. Why did he show up with all the armor, all the, all the weaponry? I was just in the temple yesterday. You could have took me then. But you come, you know, he goes, I'm right here, guy. And he gives up. That's what made Peter so mad. <laughs> Peter was a commercial fisherman. He's ready to fight. Revelation 1, look at verse 8. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. He's the what? He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. That's who he is. Now, if you run back to chapter 21 of Revelation and verse 6, when it's all done, he said unto me, it is done. Revelation 21, 6. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the waters of life freely. You know what he is? He's the beginning of God's alphabet. He's the beginning and the end. He's all of it. He is the one. And that's what Isaiah 44 is going to tell us. Isaiah 44. And verse 6, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and besides me there is no God. Isaiah 44, 6. What is He? He's the beginning of the alphabet, and He's the end of the alphabet, and He's everything in between. That's who He is. He is the official voice of the Godhead. He reveals all that they're thinking, and he makes it known. Now come back to Hebrews 2, and we'll end here because the hour's up. But it will also set us for next time. When we think about the Godhead and Jesus Christ specifically, because that's what the volume of the book is written about, that's who the volume of the book is written about, And as we begin to study about the Word being made flesh 
and dwelling among us. And then as we begin to see what he's, he, that he willingly chose to take on our humanity. And as we begin to see those steps that he, the, the, the son, the word, the, the, out of convenience, the second member of the Godhead decided and chose to do willingly on his own volition. We see Hebrews 2 verse 9 will come, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Do you see that thing there about who was made? Made. That is an unnatural event. He was never made to be human. What was he made to be? God. Deity. He was made to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made righteous. May, you and I were never righteous. We're a dark, bunch of dirty, rotten dogs, sinners, until we did what? Come to Calvary, trust Calvary, the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, God the Father uh, puts that to our account and says, okay, now you've trusted that, you believe that, faith and faith in Him alone and His activity and what He did and His faithfulness to do it. Now I'm going to give you righteousness. I'm going to make you something that you naturally were not. Jesus Christ was made. There's a shakeup that's going to occur when He's born of Mary in Bethlehem. And that causes a departure for the moment, within the normal life of the Godhead. And it's a wonderful thing to see. Because then Philippians 2 comes in. And Philippians 2 is now what is needed to be looked at as the Godhead is going to start to do something that is not the norm. It's unnatural. It's never happened before. So guess where we're going next week? Philippians 2. Why? Because, man, it's so wonderful. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who? Man, he was God. He didn't think it was a robbery issue. He didn't think he was ripping anybody off by saying he's God. And then he humbled himself, took upon himself, and did some things. And we're going to walk right down through those verses. And boy, what a tremendous picture that we see of the lifestyle of the Godhead as they live for one another and as they, they do for each other in complete unison and harmony. Never one outdoing the other, never the other losing to the other, but complete harmony. Boy, what a picture to be painted for us as we live with one another and deal with one another. It's a tremendous time. It's all going to hinge upon him tasting death for every man. Because Calvary is the hinge that it all hangs on. It's the hinge plate. It's the swing. You got to make sure you're going to heaven. You got to make sure you've been to Calvary. That song, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. What a tremendous song. Why? Because it is. Because who did he die for? For all. And praise the Lord for the revelation given to Paul that says that. Otherwise, we would be most men desperate. Okay? All right. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word.
We thank you for the folks and their patience to look into these things and their willingness to sit and to learn and to listen and to read your word and then to trust your word and then to obey it. In your name we pray. Amen. All right.